inherently we do we belong together you know we belong to want to connect and to feel love and all those types of things but what my primary limiting belief will do is yes I'll tell myself I don't belong as in like I don't fit in here I don't fit in there those people aren't quite my people I'm not quite like those people and so as a result there's a an ostracize that takes place Hi guys, Anna. Welcome back to the Rate Active Podcast. We're bringing you insightful conversations to inspire wellness for your body and mind. Make sure you hit subscribe so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. I'm your host, Rachel J, and I'm so excited to welcome my guest to the show today. She is an authenticity coach, a keynote speaker, host of the Real Raw Relatable Podcast, and the creator of the Zero Fucks Movement. Welcome to the show, Kat John. Thank you, Rach. It's awesome to be here. Thank you for asking me on. I'm so excited to chat to you because you've had such an amazingly rich and fascinating journey and story. And so I'm so excited to chat with you all about your experiences and get your insights. So I'm very, very excited for this chat. Now, I think we've all heard about these dark night of the soul moments. And I feel Mm. like we probably all have had a moment or several moments in our lives like this. And you've definitely had plenty of challenging experiences and times in your life that have shaped who you are today and what you bring to your work now. So can you share a little bit about what the most challenging times have been for you and really take me back to some of those things that have really shaped who you are today? Yeah. Um, so it's a big juicy question. Mm. Um, there's been, like you said, uh, quite a lot of uh, experiences that I've experienced that are, I guess, less than ideal. Um, but the one that I think really what I learned most from and where I, like capital I, I came back to life was when I was 23. So at that age, um, I was a registered nurse. Uh, at that point, I was working as a um, practice nurse, like head nurse of a plastic surgery practice. Wow. And yeah, so at that point in my life, uh, meditation, the universe, karma, you know, any of that stuff, personal responsibility um, was like (laughs) not my friend. I just didn't know. I didn't know about it. And it certainly wasn't, I guess, as mainstream as what it is now. But uh, at that point in my life, I was in I was in a really bad place physically physically. Um, five years prior to that, uh, chronic pain had, uh, welcomed itself unannounced to my body. Um, at the age of 18, I was out partying, um, in the drug scene and, you know, just pissing life up the wall, basically. Uh, (laughs) this little entitled brat, um, who was studying nursing and, uh, working at a hairdressing salon and then on weekends, just blowing my brains out basically. But there was this one time where, I felt this pain in my my shoulder blade and I thought that does not feel right. It was it was like electricity or fire and uh like twitching in my body and I thought, meh, I'll leave it. Um, I'll ignore it basically. And for over a five year span, once I got into the hospital system and worked as a registered nurse, um, that chronic well, the pain started to turn chronic and it moved throughout all my body and um it was basically living with it day in and day out. So once I had got into the hospital system, 
I was partying less but became very reliant upon prescription medication to try and numb or take the edge off this nerve pain, which it wasn't doing a great job at, to be honest. So I kept upping from Panadol, Panadine, uh, Panadine Fort, Oxycodone, Tramadol, et cetera, to Valium. Um, and by the time I was 23, uh, I thought, oh, I need to get out of hospital nursing. I need to maybe do nine to five hours. Maybe that's the problem, you know, really looking outside of myself. So I found this job at the plastic surgery practice. And there was one day where I went to walk down the set of stairs where uh, he and I were at the top um, to go and get the next patient. I was on the top landing. He was on the middle landing and the patients were all down below. And I was like, why can't I walk? I literally couldn't put my foot down and it, and it, and it scared the absolute shit out of me. And I looked at my boss and he looked at me and he's like, what's going on? I said, I can't walk. And he knew about my pain. He knew that I was uncomfortable and um, all those types of things. Long story short, I went to uh, get an MRI. So he took me over to the Epworth Hospital, got an MRI. Two days later, me and my beautiful mum, who's Filipino, she was praying all the way up to uh, the neurosurgeon's office in the lift. Um, she was was praying and we sat down and, and the guy uh, was going through my scans and my report and he said, you have a congenital brain condition that is slowly turning you into a paraplegic. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and you need to have brain surgery uh, within a matter of weeks. So um, at 23, and at that time I was, I was quite overweight because I was pulling out of life. I wasn't exercising. I didn't want to go out because chronic pain really is a terrible, uh, it, it, it's terrible, especially nerve pain. So um, I was not in a good way. So everyone in my family, and, and mentally I was not in a good way either. So everyone in my family, including myself, were like, "This, I hope this works and I hope this fixes everything. And we kind of put all of our eggs in the basket of like, yes, this is the answer. Mm. Um, and lo and behold, like everything did fix structurally from the operation, but my nerves had been so badly compressed over now that was going to be nearly six years because there were these benign tumours um, in my spinal cord that were severing my nerve communication. So this, the brain surgery fixed everything structurally, but I was still left with this chronic pain. And then my surgeon put me on a very powerful uh, drug that really tries to make your brain and your body not connect so that you don't feel pain. Right. So intention was great, but the... Um, the outcome of that was, it was actually quite scary. Um, my thoughts were the blackest they've ever been. Um, I was afraid of myself. I was afraid of my thoughts. I was afraid to be with myself. And it was a time that I first re like properly reached out to my family because over the five-year span I was pushing everyone away. Um, and I reached out to them and I said, I'm, I need help. Like I, I really need help because my thoughts are telling me that I don't want to be here. My thoughts are saying that I can't live like this and I don't want to live with those kinds of thoughts for the rest of my life. So yeah. uh, we found our way to meet this incredible professor of neurology who he was incredible. He, he was the catalyst to change my life. He invited me to change my life. And he said to me, you've been dealt a shit card, but there's no silver bullet. And I truly believe that 
if you want to live a pain-free life that it's actually possible. And it was the first person that ever had really said that as opposed to this is something you're going to have to manage. Yes. So he gave me this incredible analogy where he said Olympic athletes will train for their gold medal every day. They'll rest, they'll sleep, they'll eat whatever they have to eat. They will uh, do whatever they need to do to feel that gold medal around their neck and pressed against their chest. And um, they, yeah, that's because that's what they want. And he said, I know you're not an Olympic athlete, but I know that there's something inside of you that you want that's your version of your gold medal, you know. So he said, what do you want? What do you want? And I was 24 at that time and I just said to him, I want to be free. I want to be free to be myself again. I want to be free to be happy. I want to be free to uh, be kind to people. I just want to be free to move my body. I just want to feel freedom again. And so he went on to tell me about visualization and using my imagination to imagine myself free and happy and uh, living into that. Or what does that version of cat look like? What does she sound like? What does she feel like? What is she wearing, etc. Um, and he said, every day I want you to wake up and imagine that for at least five minutes and play it in your imagination. Feel how it feels as a result. And then ask yourself what you need to do to act in favour of that version of cat. And at the start, I kind of thought he was a bit of a loony tune. I'm like, mate, you're a you're a neurologist. Like, give me, give me, <laughs> give me the pills. I'm used to the pills. <laughs> but the way that he explained it, I don't know. I guess it spoke to a knowing inside of me. It spoke to a wise, old knowing inside of me that was like, yes, this this feels right. And he said, I'd love you to practice this for 12 months without missing a day and then come back to me and let me know how you go. Um, and then that's what I did. I practiced that for 12 months. It ended up being 10 months. Um, I went off my medication slowly um, and still had to battle negative thoughts every day that were telling me this is a waste of time, this guy's a loony tune, you're going to be a bitch if you don't take your pain meds, um, you know, the people around you are going to hate you, you're going to lose your job, et cetera. So I had to battle those thoughts. But um, the answer that I always got to serve that next version of cat, that free version of cat, was to to get back into my life and to move my body. It was the simplest answer, get back into my life and move my body. And so I did. I just I, I started going for walks. I started to walk to work, maybe catch a taxi back because Uber didn't exist back then. Or... <laughs> You know, I would go to a Pilates class or whatever it may be, but I just went slowly but surely, slowly but surely. And 10 months later, um, the 15 extra kilos that I was carrying, gone. Chronic pain that I had had for six years, gone. And I could look at myself in the mirror and I could see myself and I thought, okay, I don't know what the hell that I've done, but I need to keep doing this. And that was the shittest time in my life or one of the shittest times in my life, but it was, uh, it, it brought me the greatest gift that I haven't stopped using till this day. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What an incredible story. And I feel that, I mean, this neurologist, what a legend wisdom that he's given you. And, and you, I suppose you wouldn't expect that from a, I suppose, health specialist, you know, because it's a very, uh, holistic way of thinking, I suppose, and mm-hmm. thinking about your thoughts and 
the other things that you're doing in your life aside from medication. Oh my goodness. Correct. Yeah, that's that's in, such an incredible story. But I feel like with these moments, these challenging times, we often have the most challenging times bring us, like you said, the greatest gifts when we learn the most about ourselves and coming back to who we are. Now, you talk a lot about belonging and acceptance, and it's something that we all crave, I think, as humans. And we have this need to fit in, whatever that mm. might look like to somebody. And we've just got this deep, I suppose, desire firstly to belong, but that also comes with this fear of being ostracized and not being liked or accepted by people. And you do speak a lot about this in your work. Mm. So can you share a little bit more about this? Because I suppose when you come to facing you as the real version of you, this these kinds of things might come up for people as well who might be going through something similar. So can you speak a little bit more to this around belonging and this acceptance that we all crave and how it's a bit of a juxtaposition in a way because we want to be we want to belong, we want to fit in, but we also want to be ourselves. Yeah, correct. Correct. Mm. So uh, I guess in terms of um, our our inherent human need um, is to belong. Uh, you know, if we go back years upon years upon years in, in certain tribes, like when you were part of the tribe, you were safe, you were together, you were looked after. Um, and when someone was uh, kicked out of the tribe, uh, there was a real risk for them to survive um, back in those kinds of days. So there is that, that, that deep, I believe, primal need to belong um, so that, uh, you know, we are connected and we are together. But there's this other layer, I guess, that, which is the work that I work with um, where I talk about the nine primary limiting beliefs that uh, really every human on the planet will fall under. And we all have a myriad of limiting beliefs um, that we have, but there's usually one sucker punch limiting belief that keeps us either in our shit um, that keeps trying to sabotage us and and away from what we truly want. So some of those beliefs or those nine primary limiting beliefs are I need to be perfect, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I don't belong, uh, I need to always be in control, I can't trust myself, others or the world, uh, I don't have the capacity, capacity being time, resources, energy, money. Um, I am powerless, so that type of belief will often create bullies in the world because they feel at a egoic level they're powerless. So in order to compensate for that powerless behaviour, they go to the opposite way. And uh, the last belief is I'm not allowed to be capable or I'm not capable. Like I'm not capable to do X, I'm not capable to do Y. So capability comes uh, as their core. So because of a lot of the work that I've done um, over my life, I have identified my core limiting belief, which is I don't belong. Mm. And as a result of feeling, see, it's interesting because I feel like there's a difference in, in the word belonging and then there's a difference in fitting in yes. because inherently we do. We belong together. You know, we belong to want to connect and to feel love and all those types of things. But what my primary limiting belief will do is, yes, I'll tell myself I don't belong, as in like I don't fit in here, I don't fit in there, those people aren't quite my people, I'm not quite like those people. 
And so as a result, there's a an ostracize that takes place in my ego and in my limiting belief. I will feel like I don't fit in, like I'm a stepmom. It's a perfect shitstorm for me to not feel like I belong to the family because they're not my blood. I didn't bring them up. Uh, who am I to tell them this? Who am I to tell them that? So e- egoically, I will tell myself the story. I don't fit in. This is not my family. Um, they're not like me. I'm not like them. So as a result, barricades go up. Mm. And, uh, you know, the openness in love that, I'm, that I'll give my dogs or that if I did have my own children, which I don't have and, 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 and am choosing not to have, um, it would be different because of that limiting belief that warps my reality. Does that make sense? Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's so fascinating that you're saying that it's, it comes from a limiting belief that you're telling yourself. It's almost mm. like you're creating that being ostracized is, is created from your belief. Yeah. 100%. So with this particular belief, there's sort of like a two-edged sword. There's the pulling away from others because you're just like, not like me, not like me, they're not like me. Or there's a chameleon type that will that will take place as well. So it's like, okay, well, in order to fit in there, I'll be like this. In order to fit in, I'll be like that. And that's probably where I spent the first part of my life. And then the more later recent times where this is the work and practice that I'm in the practice of now is to not ostracize. So, um, but it's interesting, the greatest lesson more than anything that I had to learn was, especially with this particular belief, is that I belong to myself. You know, it's like I need to find myself and and keep her, me, intact because as soon as I lose touch with her, that's when I'm like I don't belong there or how do I – how do I have to be or what do I have to do? What do I have to say? How do I have to act in order to fit in there? That's when the patterns start playing out. Yeah, I think that so many people listening, but just people in general can relate to that because I feel that we have so many different contexts in our lives where we, like you said, you're not quite like that. They're not quite my people. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we've all had experiences like that where we do maybe change ourselves a little bit to fit in to feel Mm -hmm. like we're connected to other people. But I think that piece about really bringing yourself back to understanding that that's your thought that's creating that distance between people and it kind of then defeats it almost almost like defeats the purpose of what you're trying to do is fit in, but you're then creating more distance and creating that that disconnection from people. Correct, correct. It's like the true true essence of what it is in terms of that uh, belonging is connection. Mm. But if if my focus is slightly off and not focused on connection, it'll focus on not my people and then ostracize or how do I fit in, which means I have to adapt myself. And so, boom, I've lost my center. I've lost my core. I've lost my alignment. Mm, yeah, you come away from who you really are. Now, I feel like there's so many of those beliefs that you mentioned there about not feeling good enough, not being worthy, feeling like you have to be perfect, control things, those things, obviously, I think all of us have at some point struggled with to varying degrees in our life. And I'm so glad that you brought up those really common limiting beliefs. What are the best suggestions for moving through those limiting beliefs? Because 
there's some pretty deep-seated beliefs there and they can really affect pretty much every area of your life. If you, have, if you hold a belief that says, I'm not worthy, that can manifest in a whole bunch of different areas in a variety of different ways. So how do we start to then really get into it and dismantle that belief? Mm, you, you said it, you just said it then. We have to, well, this is the way that I see it, the way that I do it with myself and the way that I do it with my clients. You've got to get in them. You've got to know, um, you've got to know how your dysfunction works. And those dysfunctions will forever, forever link back to childhood. It just is the way it is. From the ages of zero to six, we are in a, in a state of mind where we are absorbing the world rapidly, rapidly trying to figure out how does it work, what do I do, what do I not do, what do I say, what do I not say, how do I get love, how do I get attention, how do I get this, how do I get that, how do I fit in, how do I stand out, how do I be powerful. And depending upon our own orientation during that time, and again, that's like wildly dependent on our caregivers and our environment that's when we start laser focusing on oh okay cool so in order for me to get love I need to please so that often will develop a not worthy belief system or in order to get mum or dad's attention I've got to get a pluses or uh get fucking the, the blue number one ribbon in the swimming carnival you know and so they be, often become the achiever and no and and so that then becomes the limiting belief of not being good enough so the first the the the, the first step that I always will ask myself to take first and, and and my clients is look at how you are currently behaving in your current reality and how is that working out for you in your relationship how are you behaving? And you've got to like put on the lenses of honesty, put on the lens of being real with yourself and going, okay, how am I behaving in regards to this relationship? How am I behaving in regards to money? How am I behaving in regards to X? And then it's, it's, it's getting curious as to, well, why am I like that? Why do I feel the need to act out or to behave this way, this way, this way? which keeps delivering pretty crummy results, you know. So then it's getting curious to where did this come from? Where did this belief stem from? Or, you know, at least it doesn't always have to go to the stem, but at least close to the stem. And that way it's not about then going, oh, okay, cool, I've, I've, I've assessed that and now I know what it is and it's gone forever. That shit stays with us for life, right? So it's acknowledging it and it's working with it, knowing that we have a wound around something that in certain areas of our life, where it's going to press up against that wound. Um, so I'm, I'm forever about knowing your ego and its dysfunction and the beliefs that you've got and the decisions that you made as a child in order to cope with your life. Um, learning that work is so important and being intimate with it um, because once you can know uh, pretty well how your dysfunction works, you can go, cool, now I'm going to uh, use these tools, X, Y, Z, in order to deal with my dysfunction and then I'm going to start focusing on what actually matters because that shit uh, can take up a lot of our attention and time and we start focusing on petty stuff. Yeah, and I just feel that what you said there by looking at those beliefs that we had and really questioning ourselves on them I think is 
mm. shining a light on them, even just having that separation to know that that's a belief that you've picked up rather than it being something that just, I suppose it, it comes through as being unconscious, right? It, from the get-go, yeah. uh, from childhood, it's unconscious. And until you sort of shine a conscious lens on it, that's when you can start to create that space between you totally, and, and, and the belief. Exactly right. Mm. When you've got no space from you and the belief, you are the belief and you're fucked. You know, yeah. and it's yeah, it's it's just that's just truth, and that's just how it is. And there's no, I suppose, there's no room for change. Then there's no room Correct. to go. Where is that? Can I change this? How could I be different? And then you just touched on their wounds and triggers, and I think mm. obviously we all have them. And I th- I think it's interesting because obviously you carry this wound with you. They don't go anywhere. You've experienced it in your life. It's something that sticks with you, and it's more about being in that moment of being aware of the trigger, what's triggering you and then in the moment. So can you take me through the process of even in that moment of understanding I'm being triggered here or this, mm. this particular thing has happened to me and it's triggering this wound, mm-hmm. how do you in that moment shift from mm. that belief that you've, you've got, it probably is going to sit there, but you have that moment where you can actually shift and decide to respond differently, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So we need to have our the desires in our heart, the things that truly matter to us, we have to have them conscious to ourselves. So I'll give you an example. As a young child, I was sexually abused at the age of six. So I have a trigger around space and control. So that's something that, I'm, that I've been working with forever where I'm like, okay, cool, when something, if I know what, what's going on and, and, and everything is sort of going to plan, brilliant. If there is a deviation or a spontaneous something that interrupts the space that I thought that I had, trigger, goes up, trigger happens and, it, and it's really been activated since having stepchildren. So I'll give you an example. I was at my desk and I was working away and uh, we had, you know, still that day and the day after to myself and Steve, my partner. So we wear week on and wear week off with the girls. But something took place where they needed to come over to our place. Now, logically in my mind, I know this is their home. I know that they can come and go at any time they please. I actually don't care in my truth that they come and they go because I don't want them feeling like they're unwanted from house to house to house to house, right? I know that in my truth. In my trigger, I don't know that. So I'm at my desk, I'm typing away, and I can hear the front door click and I cannot tell you the heat that ran through my body the rage that ran through my body and the fear that ran through my body, just like I was when I was a little girl, of my space is being invaded. So here's what happened. I was at my desk. My trigger and my wound and my self-protection pattern was like, ignore them, don't look up, just pretend they're not there, right? Now, as a little girl, when I was in that traumatic time, I said to myself, pretend you're asleep right? So basically pretend nothing's happening. And so the same thing was happening in my current reality where I'm like, just pretend nothing's happening. Pretend they don't exist. They didn't even walk through the door. But because in my heart, 
I know what actually matters, which is connection, which is love, which is welcoming the girls in with open arms because they did that to me when I came into this family. I'm sitting there going, oh, my gosh, I'm shutting down. I'm literally not even addressing them. I'm not even looking at them. How must they feel as a result? And in those moments, in the heightened as heights of triggers, it's very, very difficult to choose a new way because your body is flooded with emotion and feeling and stuck back in the past, but you're in a reality where you're like, everything is safe, everything is fine, no one's harming, no one's hurting. So it's it's a matter of choice. It's a matter of choice because I know, no different to what I said before, that when I have played out that behavior before and that pattern, I create the most shocking energy in the house. I shut down. Steve doesn't know how how to behave. The girls are like, "Uh, can we talk to you? Can we not talk to you? And I have have proven to myself that is not okay. I've I've just I cannot do that anymore because it's just not right and it's and it's not even their fault. So in that moment, it was a matter of choice, a battle of the ego and truth to go, fuck, what am I going to make matter here? What am I going to make matter? Am I going to make matter control, power, safety, or am I going to make matter my family? And so in that moment, I just, I took a breath. I took my hands off the keyboard. I closed down my eyes and then I opened them. I just looked at them in the eyes and then that started to just break everything. So um, I wanted to share that example because it's real, you know. They're, yeah. they're the things that actually happen. But like I said, firstly, it's a matter of choice, but you've got to know what you're choosing that's bigger than the trigger. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yes, it totally does. And, I mean, I feel like th- that moment when you have that trigger, you're right. You're so right. When that trigger happens, it's a past memory. Your body tends to do a whatever it does. It could be a different physiological response for everybody and depending on what the trigger is. Mm. But I definitely know what you're talking about. I've definitely had similar feelings of that rush of heat going through the body. It's your body remembering something from the past. But Mm. that moment of actually switching out into choosing, I like that the focus is what matters more. Yeah. What am I going to focus on here and what am I going to choose? Am I going to choose the fear Mm. Or am I going to choose this new way? Yeah. And I yeah. think that's super powerful if you can do it. I know it's hard in the moment to do it. It's really yeah. hard because it's a patterned response that totally. you've done over and over and over again and is ingrained in yep. your body. And now it's you, self-protective, you know. So yes. protecting the self is like, <gasps> we're in danger, must protect, you know. Mm. Yeah. And it's a horrible feeling when you actually, if you sit in that space, I think the worst thing is when you know that you are sitting in that space, you know, it's a trigger, you know, you're living, living out a pattern and you're creating a lot of anxiety and, and suffering for yourself. Yet for some reason, sometimes it's really hard to actually just choose another way because you're so used to it. It's And in a way, sometimes it's comforting because you know that very well. Yeah. So you touched on there the ego and I think it might be useful to kind of unpack the ego because I think we definitely have heard this term thrown around, ego, but it can be construed in a different, few different types of ways, I feel. So can you take me through your breakdown of the ego and unpacking the different, really the difference is ego and, we, and you're talking about this in a specific context but along with ego the words confidence arrogance that kind of mm. thing might come up for people yep. which may be slightly different 
So can we kind of unpack that and take me through that? Yeah, it's a really good point because uh, I remember even one of my friends, when she started listening to my podcast, she was like, I thought ego was you know, uh, going to the gym and, and flexing your, your muscle in the mirror and, um, you know, being like you're walking into a club and you feel kind of like, you know, cocky kind of thing. Got a bit of swag going on. Yeah, yeah, sticking yeah. your chest out sort of sort of jazz, which, which is true but it is not all of it. So in my belief uh, and and in the work that I have um, been involved in and practiced over my time, like I, I truly believe that prior to us coming here for a human experience, you know, we were no thing, not nothing. We were we were no thing. We were not this body. We were not this hair. We were we were no thing, nothing. Uh, and then we come to have this human experience, um, which is this particular life. And like I said, we go through this life. Uh, especially in our younger years, needing to know how things work so we know how to operate in the world. Now, prior to our human existence, that just wasn't a thing. But here in an earthly experience of, okay, we need to know how to, like when to sleep, so we need to rest and we need to know when to eat because if we don't eat, then this will happen. And if we burn ourselves, then we need to know what's hot, what's cold, etc. right? So the way that I see it and the way that I explain it is when we are born, we are born with that that no thing essence inside of us. Like that's what we are and I believe that when we pass on, that's what we will return to. That's what keeps me comfortable and be able to sleep at night anyway. <laughs> that's what I believe. But also whilst we're here as a human, we have this insatiable need to know. Yet the other part of us, that essence and that no thing, doesn't need to know. So we're living, we've already come into the human experience with two opposing forces which is, I believe, <laughs> the worst thing ever. I reckon we all did something <laughs> shit in a past life to, to come here with two very powerful and opposing forces. So the way that I see the ego is it's a, it's a sat-nav. It's a, a sat-nav that we start unconsciously from the ages of zero to six years old, we start plugging information into that sat-nav. So it's sort of like a blank sat-nav and we're like, okay, like I said earlier, in order for us to get love, we need to behave like this. And if we, are to ensure that we don't get in trouble, we need to make sure we don't do that, i.e. don't speak up, shut up, shut our mouths, squash our truths, repress whatever we want to say. Then we can have these fucked up experiences when we're children where someone may take advantage of a child and say, if you tell, you'll be in trouble, right? So then you learn to go, oh, my God, my truth gets me in trouble. So we learn to lie and we learn to repress our truth and then like that's why so many years later people are screwed up by terrible things that happen when they're children. So this sat-nav is getting filled and filled and filled and filled. By the time we're typically five to six years old, we're pretty conscious and aware of ourselves and now how the world works. But everyone on this planet has got a sat-nav that's different. So when you go to school and when you go to preschool and you got all these kids with all these different sat-navs, like no wonder there's always a bully, no wonder there's always the kid weirdo or no wonder there's always the this, the that or the other, right? Because we have these sat-navs that say this is who you are, this is how you must behave, this is what you must do or not do in order to get X, 
right? And so the ego keeps going, that's how it works. That's how it works. That's how we know we're going to get what we want. That's how we know we're going to get what we want. And we, so we start manipulating ourselves and come further away from that essence and from our truth. And we're like, no, nah, I need to, I need to stick to what works, how it works. So I can keep, um, I guess in that state of predicting how life is going to, uh, work out for us even if it's even if it sucks so how I see the ego is it's a it's a part of us that it's you know yes it's 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 annoying it's frustrating but it's this it's like this wounded part of us that is so scared that is so afraid that wants to just keep us safe and comfortable and please don't leave the box please don't leave the box please don't leave the box and it'll do, it'll, and it'll say whatever it feels it needs to say, which is why it can say some nasty things to keep us in that box. So its primary goal, the satnav, is I'm going to keep you safe and I'm going to protect you at all costs, right? So say, for example, if uh, we're young as a child and we're very overpowered by our parents um, or it's a very hostile environment at home, and so like I said, you feel powerless to that, there's a decision unconsciously that we can make that plugs into our satnav and says, fuck that if anyone is ever going to take advantage of me in my life ever again. So we go to school, we become the bully, we lock off our heart, add 10, 20, 30 years on, we try and get in relationships and that doesn't hurt. I mean, that doesn't work, you know, mm. because a closed heart or it, it may work, but you're going to have a pretty crappy, crappy relationship. You're going to draw in someone who's probably more um, submissive and be aggressive and abusive either verbally physically whatever it may be mentally and that is the ego at play does that make sense yeah yeah now and 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 the ego yes it can be that cocky version so depending upon our belief primary belief that we have as that child um it can be cocky it can be you know yeah i know everything and i'm all good because deep down there's such this insecurity that you feel like you're not enough. So you act like you're enough, but it's the act that's the ego. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. There's a difference between the ego, and I like how you said there with arrogance or, or cockiness, where it actually is masking an insecurity, like you said, and mm. probably comes back to a, a base belief of I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And you know, it's really interesting because there's, you said there, there's two parts of us, you know, there's the deep inner knowing, you could call it soul. I, I suppose mm. there's a lot of different language that people like to use for that kind of part of ourselves and the ego or the, perhaps the mind, logical mind could be mm. another way you could say that. And it's interesting to navigate the two. And like you said, have them both work together, but also understanding that the ego is a separate part of you as well. Now, I'm interested to hear your take on the head versus heart, which again could be the mind versus the ego, different ways that you could say that really. And what's your take on leaning in to your heart or your intuition or that knowing part of you versus listening to the logical mind, your ego, and how do we actually live with both? Because obviously the ego is there, like you said, to protect us, to keep us safe. There is a functional purpose for it being there. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there, I suppose. And we have to navigate life with both of them. So 
How, what's your take on that? And also, how do we sort of listen to that knowing part of ourselves when the ego mm. can be so loud? Usually the louder voice, really. Definitely. Definitely yeah. the louder voice. Yeah. Um, so, and it's, it's true, we, we do need to live with both. And I guess often we can go on a quest Either we can be like super stuck in our mind and sort of uh, disregard that there's any other part of us. Like you said, whether you call it heart, soul, um, intuition, whatever it may be, inner self. And it's interesting because there's a book called um, the, Tao, the Tao Te Ching mm. and there's a verse in there that says, the Tao that can be named is not the Tao. And what that means is it's like, you know, see how we have so many names for God Allah, Buddha, God, or, you know, um, all of those different names, even the universe, the, the force or whatever it may be, the cool thing is is that we actually don't know what the hell it is. And yeah. so we, 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 we find words that resonate with us that help us feel connected to whatever that is, that no thing, you know. Um, so it's kind of cool when you were saying, is you know, the heart, the soul or whatever it is, it's, it's often because we just, our, our little brains cannot fathom how vast we are, you know. So the thing that I like to talk about is, like I said, there's going to be people who either will live in their head and disregard that anything else exists. Sometimes there are people who live a little bit too in the woo and disregard uh, anything else. And so there's there's that um, split between the human and the heart or the human and the soul, the human and our essence, whatever you want to call it. And we do, we need to live with both. Um, so all I know from my experience is I guess I've lived that, that, that those two extremes, one in the head for so long that life was fucking boring and, you know, no magic, no, no openness to synchronicities, no openness to, like something else communicating with me and letting that into the world and really heady, you know. It was just like a uh, I only knew what I knew so then I was not open to anything else because I kind of didn't want anything else to test the head. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Um, and then when I started listening to my truth and my heart, my soul, again, whatever words you want to put to it, I was like, oh, that's pretty magical. Fuck the head. I just want to live in that. And uh, like I said, there's, it's, it's unbalanced when we do it both ways. Yes. Um, like, uh, you know, our, our ego sometimes is, it can be good for us. It can attempt to protect us against X, Y, Z when it needs to be protected against. It's just that it tries to protect us against everything that could be good for us. You know, that is, that is not good for us, but also um, what is good for us. So the way that uh, I connect into it and the way that I suggest that my clients connect into it, into their heart, into their soul, it's, it, look, it is, it's, a, it's a consistent every day or at least, you know, three times, four times a week practice of just sitting with yourself in quiet, with a journal, with a meditation that resonates with you, that you start asking that part of your questions, you know, like what, what truly does matter to me? If I lived my life more true to me, how would that look? If I lived my life at a pace and, at a pace and rhythm that 
felt um, true to my soul? What would I change? What would I stop doing? What would I start doing? And when we start just having that really soft, gentle relationship and, again, putting that curiosity into it, um, we start to receive different answers that are beyond the mind that goes, you're like this, so this is what you do. You're not creative. You can't journal. You can't meditate. You can't connect to source. There is no source, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, and like you said, it's it's a, it's an everyday battle. There, I, Before our session here, I put my timer on for six minutes and I just sat, um, sat exactly where I am right now and I was like, I don't want to meditate. You know, all my <laughs> thoughts were like, oh, I'd prefer to do this. I want to go water my plants. I want to go, maybe I should open the window a little more, like all of it. And then there are other times where I'll be in meditation and it will be, oh, just I feel like I am connected to everything and it's like that's amazing, right? Yeah. So on the daily we we are forever going to be managing both and I guess it's really important to say that the ego is often always going to be the dominant force. So we are always needing to choose and those little daily practices that keep us connected to that part of us in moments throughout our day when we're like, oh, my God, I'm doing something that I really don't want to be doing or I'm saying something I really don't want to be saying, the choice becomes a little more available to us because we're doing the background work. Yes, we're tuning into that part of ourselves more frequently. And so that voice or that part of ourselves is has the space, I suppose, to be heard over the egoic voice or the thinking mind, whatever you want to call it. Now, you have a pretty interesting story around how the Zero Fucks movement came to be because this was sort of a a very similar process, right? Mm, And mm, can mm. you take me through that initial, those thoughts that were running through you, that guidance to post that very first video to social media because that is probably a perfect example of definitely is tuning in and and really connecting to that part of yourself so can you share a bit more about that story yeah it's a really cool story so like I shared earlier about um knowing what matters to your heart I wrote down there's an end result that I wanted to bring to life which was um I wanted to uh, what I had my it was I choose the end result of creating wealth and abundance through my creative expressions so basically in essence I want to make money doing what I love and what just feels really natural to me. So when I did it, I did I do this particular process. And when it came to the point of what, what my next best step is, um, the answer that came through, I just saw the word dance appear in my mind. And I've always danced since I was a kid. I was like, what the hell? What the hell <laughs> does dance have to do with making money? I'm like, am I becoming a pole dancer, universe? Can you give me a bit of a, a sign, right? So um, anyway, I went up to my little loft space, turned on some tunes, and I just started like free dancing. And there was just that, that little voice that, we, that we've, we've been speaking about, a little voice that says, you should record this. And so I put my phone on and recorded it. And look, this was a time on social media where reels did not exist. There was no music over a reel, um, Instagram was basically, was was predominantly like photo-based uh, and not many people were putting up videos of themselves dancing like today, you know. Um, it's like every, every corner you'll see someone doing a little TikTok reel dance. So <laughs> um, then when I finished doing my little thing, 
I went back to the video and then got that little voice that said, post it, share. Share with people what you're doing here. And I was like, nah. People will think I'm stuck up. People will think I'm up myself. People will think. So it was all about what I thought other people thought. And I was basically putting the blame onto other people as to why I couldn't post it when really it was my own thought that I needed to not give a fuck about, but I made it about other people. So 20 minutes, bang, bang, head, head, don't, no, 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 no. This little message just going, just share, just share. You're just sharing. That's all, just one share. So 20 minutes later, I did a little post and I got creative with it. I I actually reached out to my sister-in-law who's good with words and I was like, I've just put up this thing uh, or I want to put up this thing, um, like I just want to create a little hashtag around it. And there was no, not even a desire to, to, to create it to what it is today. And she goes, okay, well, what, what were you doing at the time and, and what's sort of making you post? And we just sort of came to our little uh, thing of, okay, well, in that moment I gave zero, I'm, I'm, I'm giving zero fucks to post this. Um, and she goes, what day is it today? It's Tuesday. Let's make it ZF Tuesday, right? That's literally how it came about, just a quick phone conversation, blah. I was like, cool, I'll post it, threw my phone away. And I was like, not looking at my phone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then when I did finally look at it, I had all these comments beneath going, oh, my gosh, I wish I felt confident to do that. I wish I felt free to do that or I do that, but I'd never post it on social media because I'm too afraid of what other people might think. I thought, wow, how powerful. And then I got all these DMs saying, can't wait till next Tuesday's dance, can't wait till next Tuesday's dance. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but lo and behold, like week after week, I would put up a video and um, share it. And six, six weeks into it, um, people then started to post stories and tag me. And I was like, what the hell is this? And so it really, like people were telling me what it was to them. Like, it, it, like thank you for helping me give zero fucks. Thank you for your zero fucks movement. I'm like, it's not even a fucking movement. What even is it? So it was crazy. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Six months into it, uh, it really started um, getting traction and then someone reached out to me who owns a rooftop place in Melbourne and said, we'd love to host a Zero Fucks live dance event. I'm like, no way am I doing that. (laughs) People coming, I'm like, what if people don't come? What if they do and then they don't dance? So I had all the thoughts and then I ended up saying yes. So I just, I always end up, you know, finally finding my truth. Anyway, it was a night. People bought their tickets um, and it was pissing down with rain, but everyone barged up the stairs and danced the night away. It was unbelievable, like sober. And then since then I've been creating events. Since then corporates have reached out. I've opened up events for people with Zero Fucks Movement, gone into schools now with the Zero Fucks Movement. And so that intention that I had of creating wealth and abundance through my creative expressions and through listening to that that dance and then just actually going and dancing and getting those two little nudges to post, it has like brought in, it's it sent out a wave of energy and then it's brought back in another wave of energy with clients, with corporates, with high schools, with events. And uh, that's what has contributed to <laughs> my wealth and abundance. It's amazing. I think it's such an incredible story and I really love that it really just came from that one little video. 
one little just, video. Or, even before that, just dance, record it, you know, and it's and it's a reminder that it's just the next step. We just need to focus on the next step and follow that, you know, when those, those, those hits come in, those intuitive hits come in to just listen to it even if it doesn't make any sense at all. They, yeah. often, they often don't. I they feel. often don't. No, not mm. to our logical mind because our logical mind goes, how does this make sense in this world, right? How does this make sense in this world? And if we just stay open to 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 what it's really trying to communicate with us or just take a little step from what you've got, something something else will reveal, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it just continues on. It's such an amazing story. And, and, and a great example, again, of showing up authentically and this mm. is something that obviously that you speak a lot about being an authenticity coach and I think one of the things that we are probably hearing a lot of is being more authentic particularly on social media it's something that we're all on these days and again this fear of people judging us not liking us what will people think all of these kinds of things tend to come up so I'm wondering what your suggestion is for how do we live more truthfully and how do we be more authentic, show up more authentically and really stay true to who we are? Firstly, it's, uh, it is going to be a lifelong practice. Like just because a lot of people will view me and go, boom, you're authentic. I'm like, I have to work on that every day. I get challenged by my stepdaughters. I get challenged by my partner's ex-wife. I get challenged by that they're there there are certain people in my ego's mind where I'm like I can't be like that around them you know so it's it's forever it comes back to our original you know earlier conversation it's forever paying attention to the stories that come up around us showing up in our most natural way for that moment in time right so an example, every time I go and do a keynote speak, uh, a speaking gig, my ego will say, who's the crowd? Who do you have to be? Should you be funny? Should you be smart? Should you do this? Should you do that? Right? So, again, it's making turning me into a chameleon so I fit in and uh, it's taking me away from my core essence. So I listen. I, I, I pay attention to those stories. I'm like, all right, cool. I get why you're there. I get the wound. I get your pain. Not a problem. However, if I just take a moment to be quiet and listen to my truth, and if I ask you, it's always about asking good questions. When it comes to your truth and staying more connected to your core, we've got to ask better questions. So ego is always going to ask you questions. <laughs> How do I fit in? How do I make them happy? How do I do this? How do I do that? And the, the, the question that I will always ask myself when I go and speak in front, of a, in front of a group is, if I were equal to these people, how would I show up? How would I speak? And so what I'm telling my mind and to my, my whole being is I'm equal to these people, whether they're accountants, whether they're whoever they are, scientists, whatever they are, I'm equal to them. They're human. You know, they've got genitals or they've got arms, they've got legs, they've got hair, they've got a nose, you know. I'm equal to them. And so my truth will always answer with you show up as you and with your heart. You're here to speak to the heart of them not to win them over, you know? And it's that's what I mean. The ego and, and our truth are going to have such opposing, because they're two opposing forces, ways of going about being you. And if we're aware of what this one, being the ego, 
is wanting to uh, make us do or say, which is then going to make us feel not authentic. So we'll, it's like, oh, you know, let's be funny today on social media and then we behave in a way where we put up, we put on something a little bit extra and we're like, why the fuck did I do that? I just wasted a shit ton of energy doing that, you know? And that that's that people feel that. People feel that. They can sense it. Like we're not fucking dumb. We've got senses. So it's constantly about going, right, I just told myself that I had to be like this. But if I didn't have to be like that, how else? Or how would I love to be? What would feel best for me? And then we just start being in the practice of that. I used to show up on social media, you know, always like the spiritual person or the extra nice person or whatever else, you know, where I just completely um, denied like my funny side or my stupid side. I thought, no, spirituality is serious. We must take it serious. <laughs> yes. Whereas like I'm, I'm just, I, I'm, I, 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 there's that part of me that is, is, is uh, respectful of it, but there's another part of me that just loves to fuck around, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, well, why am I then denying that? Or why are you denying that? And if we just always take curiosity and are aware of the stories that make us think we have to act or be that way that is inauthentic and then start to pull it back and ask better questions. And you just, you've just got a better chance of, you know, leaning a little bit more into your authentic self, a little bit more. You're not going to do it once and be like, yes, done, I'm in. It's like, fuck, here we go again. New day, new practice. <laughs> yeah. I love that though. I love that the, I guess what I took out from what you just said is, to ask yourself a better question yeah, and then you'll get a better answer. Yeah. So I really like that. Now, one of the things that I ask all my guests about is rejection and failure because these are some of the things that as humans we all experience in life. So I am interested to know what has been your biggest rejection or failure and what have you learned from it? The first one that comes up <laughs> is... This is business related. I remember when I was doing my my visualizations, and I got uh, a message to to share meditation, you know, to to guide people into meditation. And again, meditation back then, when I was when I was guided to do that, wasn't in yoga studios or anything like that. So I was like, okay. So I put out, I ran a class. One person showed up to that class. So that firstly, that was fucking humiliating. You know, I'm like, oh, my God. Here in my vision, I'm like, ah, oh, with like all these people and they're coming to my class and it's amazing. <laughs> one person shows up. Second time, no one shows up. Third time, no one shows up. Fourth time, one person shows up. I would prefer no one to show up, right? And at that point, I had so much shame around it and, and the, the feeling of failure. And because it, it was in a yoga studio but it wasn't on the schedule, I like stayed in the room for the entire time because I didn't want any of the teachers to know that were teaching yoga in the other rooms that no one showed up, right? So a lot of shame. And I thought I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go mad if I keep doing this and I was losing faith in myself. I was losing faith in the universe. I was losing faith in the work, you know, like this yeah. bullshit. I was like, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. That vision felt real. Let's just go back in and see. Okay, I get it. Uh, this isn't working. What else? What's my? What's an? What's another next best step? So my next best step was to reach out to yoga studios who are who would be happy to have me in their studio on their schedule 
as a class that people could book into. So I reached out to two studios. Um, they both said yes, ran workshops there, and then like literally every week there were like 40 to 50 people in the class. Wow. Yeah. And then people then started to reach out to come in to my to one-on-ones or can you do corporate meditation? Lululemon, some of the Lululemon people were in there. That's how I ended up becoming an ambassador. And then three years later, I am doing a mass meditation in Fed Square with 25,000 people. Wow. So one person, then none, then none, then none, then one. And the shame, like I said, the shame and the failure, it, it, I, I knew I had to just stick to the vision but change the way that I was doing things. Yeah. So um, that's what that taught me more than anything. It taught me to not give up on the vision but learn to be adaptable. Yes. I love that story. What an mm. incredible story. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And just to show that, yes, like you said, stick to the vision and just change the way that you might be doing things. Go back in and ask yourself the question again. That's it. Find out what the next step is. That's yeah. it. Yeah, amazing. Now, my final question for you is if you had an overarching life philosophy or mantra that you try to live your life by, what would that be? Oh, it's these sweet little words that um, dropped into oh, dropped into my 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 head, my heart many, many years ago. And it's on my whiteboard still. And it says, you are the answer to your life. You always have been. You always will be. Wow. Yeah. It's it it literally shot through me like lightning and it just it reminds me that I'm responsible for my life and how it's turning out and if I choose to listen to the truth inside of me the answers will be there amazing I really like that you are the answer to your life you always have been and you always will be yeah profound I love it so much yeah Oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Kat. I've absolutely loved this chat. We've, I'm sure we could chat about this stuff for a <laughs> long, long time. There's so much goodness in here. Now, where can people find you and all your amazing work on Instagram, website, things like that? Yeah, Instagram is kat.john, so K-A-T dot J-O-H-N. That's probably a good place to just get a bit of a teaser of uh, my life and you'll hear me talk like in very funny voices on my stories when my dogs are there because they're so bloody cute. Um, and then probably the next best place would be my podcast. That's where you really get to hear me talk about certain things. I share really openly about things going on in my life um, and then bring the work to that lesson or to that teaching so that's real, raw, relatable. Um, and then my website is catjohn.com.au. Amazing. So we will pop all of those links up in the show notes, guys, for you. Make sure you check out Kat's podcast, Real, Raw and Relatable. Thank you so much again, Kat. I so have Pleasure. loved this chat and, and I'm sure everyone listening will have learned so much from your journey, your insights and your experiences. So thank you again. And thank you guys for listening. Tell us what you loved and learned from this episode by leaving a rating and review over at Apple Podcast and make sure you screenshot this episode, tag us and share it to your socials. Thank you again, Kat, for joining me. And thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Rate Active Podcast.